Welcome to Solidarity Socialism from Below podcast. I'm your host, Luke Pretz. In each episode, we take the time to talk with socialists in the U.S. and abroad about local struggles they're involved with, the lessons they've learned, and how those struggles connect to the international movement for socialism. Joining me today is Gabriella, who's a socialist, a rank-and-file teamster, a UPS shop steward, a Teamsters for a Democratic Union Steering Committee member. That group is commonly referred to as TDU, and that's how we're going to refer to it uh, throughout this interview. Today we're going to be talking about rank-and-file socialist organization, or organizing, Teamsters for a Democratic Union, and the upcoming Teamsters election. Uh, this is one. Uh, this is the second of two conversations that we've had so far on this topic. If you missed the first installment where we... Uh, we're joined by Andy and Hank. Be sure to check it out after this episode. You aren't missing anything. Uh, it's not a continuous conversation. It's continuous, but not not temporally bound in any way. So you can go back whenever you want. So welcome to Socialism from Below, Gabriella. Um, I've been really excited to have you on since Johanna, uh, our editorial board member, made the connection. You know, there's there's welcome. There's a lot of ways we can start this conversation. And I think the best way to start any conversation with a socialist in a labor movement is what is being a rank and filer mean to you hello um thank you for having me on uh what a rank what being a rank and filer in the labor movement right that's your question what it means to me um is a lot um i did not come from a union background in my family i came from just a very basic working class poor background um, and I had a lot of jobs before I got the job at UPS and I got my first union job in the Teamsters and um, I got fired from a lot of jobs. When I joined UPS, I was entirely shocked that you could work in a job and actually have rights. It truly <laughs> blew my mind away. And also, you know, like getting into the job, working there for a few months, it blew my mind away as well that uh, you could just yell at your boss, like seeing other workers yell at their boss and telling them to like stop working, stop breaking the rules, stop fucking with us um, meant a lot for me. It was really life changing. And from there, it's uh, been it's 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 been so much i mean it's taken over my entire life being able to like lead a uh, shop floor campaigns um to you know like materially change my coworkers lives and um change our our working conditions um and you know like have like a serious positive uh impact on uh workers in my city and also the country has meant a lot for me and that's what it means for me to be a rank and filer in the labor movement. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as as someone who also is not from a union background but but found myself in the in the UAW. Yeah, being able to yell at your boss it's uh, huge. rules. <laughs> it's it's and it's also fun just to tell them to like shut mm -hmm. up. I'm I'm not talking to you until my steward's here. There's nothing better than saying, "No, I'm no, not right now. I'm not going to talk to you." Why? Yeah. Um yeah. But also more importantly is like as as a socialist and as someone committed to like class struggle politics, being able to kind of engage in a very direct and immediate way in the process of class struggle as a unionist is is an incredibly fulfilling and satisfying thing to do. I guess another question kind of on top of that is we, we know what it means to you, uh, I guess, personally, but what, like what is a rank and filer file worker? Um, I mean, a rank and file worker is 
really i mean it's generally used in the context of the union movement so if you work in a workplace that is under a union contract uh the rank and file worker is just like an average worker the most average worker who pays union dues um and they work for the company um they work under a contract so yeah yeah so just a normal worker yeah uh, 90 percent of the country Uh, (laughs) yeah every basically everyone who works um, so I think on top of that, like, so, so we have these rank and file workers. Why is it, I guess, from a, from a strategic perspective, why is it important as a socialist to, to participate in the labor movement at that level? Why not become like, make it your goal to become a union staffer primarily or, or something like that? Right. I mean, so you're directly confronting the boss when you're on the shop floor. Um, when you're a union staffer, you're working from an office and I think union staffers have an important role in the labor movement, but I think for the most part, people should not strive to go to that position. I think we have uh, enough of them that are excellent. What we really need is some really excellent um, workers who are dedicated um, to fighting the boss and transforming our union and fighting for the people next to them and getting in and like doing a dirty job in a warehouse. Um, because, I mean, if you like, I really saw this when because um, I've been like a rank and file worker for my, I mean, my entire working life, right? But uh, I worked on an organizing campaign with my local um, and I got, I think kind of like an eye, I wasn't a staffer at all, but I was, I had paid time off um, by my union to help organize this uh, shop. And I found it to be so difficult to just talk on the phone with these workers at this bottling plant um, and like give them advice, try to get information and, and, you know, like try to move the union organizing campaign forward. And I so desperately wished I could just be on the shop floor with them, fighting the boss, you know, talking to other workers, talking about the power of, you know, uniting and um, organizing together and standing up against our boss because that power is so beautiful. And to be honest, I have so much respect for union staffers. I really like there's some of them I just loved for my in like entire heart. But there is like it, it has so many limitations and there is truly nothing like standing with your coworkers on the shop floor and collectively telling your boss you're not going to take it anymore in the workplace. And a union staffer can't do that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like I don't want to say an obstacle, but there's almost this sort of yeah, structural barrier in some ways between staff and rank and filers in the sense that like, you know, when you're when you're running a campaign as a staffer, I, I, I suspect you don't have as much skin in the game in the same way. And it's so it's hard to build those deep connections, um, you know, out of shared work. Well, you can build a lot of connections as a staffer. Right. At the end of the day, like people recognize that if you're on the shop floor and you're you're taking action against the boss, you're putting a lot of yourself out there and you're exposing yourself to a lot of risk with everyone else. And I think, yeah, that, that helps you not only like build like closer connections, but it also helps you um, develop long-term relationships so that you can build like a stronger campaign later I on mean, down the road or yeah, a bigger I mean, campaign. A lot of, it's like dare to struggle, dare to win. Like you got to put some things on the line to win your goals and organizing a union isn't easy um i think it it takes a lot of hard work um and it takes a lot of bravery um and you have to you have to balance that out and you it's like such a beautiful thing i mean i think class struggle is beautiful i think collective worker action is beautiful and it takes some risk and 
the only way that you can really take that risk is if you're right there on the shop floor. And I mean, like if, if you're a union staffer, I mean, you're just not going to, you're not going to be able to take the same risks as those workers are. And oftentimes it's like a super important role that union staffers play. Um, but you're kind of a mediating force in a way, like it, you're the, you're the through line between workers and the boss oftentimes rather than like the primary motivating force in the confrontation yeah. between that workers is, and that capital. is like a failure actually of like a lot of union organizers in my opinion is that they, uh, kind of like jumping the gun a little bit, but, uh, they, they kind of see themselves as the leaders. And like, I wouldn't say this about like the union staffers, like I know and love, but it's like of one of like common, like labor bureaucratic union staffers is that they're like, they see themselves as like the directors of the organizing campaigns, um, like union organizing campaigns. And like the, there's a big failure in that because it's the workers who are leading it up. It is the workers who need to guide it, the workers who need all the knowledge and what is going on in the union campaign, all the information, um, because it's their campaign, it's their lives, it's their workplace. And I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a difficult position and I think it's hard to balance for union staffers as well of, knowing how to guide people in just the right direction, but also like recognizing that like you don't necessarily have entire control of this, but you need to kind of maneuver it in the right way. I mean, I would much prefer like just being on the shop floor. It's, it's easier. It's funner. It's better. <laughs> yeah. And also like, I, I think you hit on something really important here with kind of like the, the negative tendency that, that often happens uh, when you, when you're, uh, if you're a, a labor bureaucrat or, or labor staff or something like that, uh, is that is that it kind of sometimes becomes undemocratic because you take on sometimes you frequently some of the ones I've interacted with uh, have kind of taken on this. I'm the expert sort of role and I know the specific process that we need to follow. And I know which is oftentimes important, especially like when you're talking about content, like contract stuff. Uh, but also sometimes it can kind of like override like a membership that's willing to take that next step whether that's like author strike authorization or something like that. And I think that's, you know, this is again, maybe kind of jumping the gun to a certain degree, but this is also like kind of what happened with the last UPS contract, right? Well, like you, you have to know where your people are at and the best people to do that is people who are on the shop floor. Um, so, um, oh man, where is I going to go with this? I kind of forgot. I don't know. Like what you just said just makes me think about how, even like I like as like a shop steward um, working at UPS for the last seven years like my coworkers tell me a lot of things that just like grounds me you know like maybe I want to do some like really crazy campaign I'm pissed off at the boss and then they're like I get a dozen people who are like no that's not going to work I'm not going to be with you on that then I'm like okay then that's not going to work but also some like just as many times there's times where I'm like I don't think people are ready for this kind of action we have a huge issue you know and then I start talking to people and I'm like okay what do you want to do um and then they're like i want to burn the fucking place down <laughs> you know like i had to talk <laughs> one of my coworkers yeah down from like i had to explain to him what a wildcat strike was and why we couldn't do it you know i was like legally we can't do it i'm sorry i was like i really want to but we can't you know because ups has been screwing our drivers over on six day work weeks recently um and he was like what if everyone just doesn't come to work on the sixth day and i was like hey i love it I hate to do this, <laughs> you know, but like you can't get that kind of information. You can't get that kind of like on the ground struggle 
as a union staffer as you can as like a rank and filer and like the like union stewards and you know rank and file activists in the union movement are the pinnacle like they're they are like the point of connection of union democracy you know like they are the ones who go out and talk to every single person tell them what's going on and then also say like hey what do you want to do about it like that's always the question like what are we going to do about it like how are we collectively going to do or move this forward yeah and i mean i think I don't know. This is something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about lately, which is like, how, how do we build a democratic movement, a, a democratic socialist movement? You know, not to be. Yeah. yeah how do we how do we build like a, a movement for a democratic society, for a socialist society? while also like embodying those impulses. And I feel like those ideals and and, and doing that requires like this sort of deep digging and sort of workers inquiry to that you can only get by being on the shop floor and like having daily or like hourly conversations with with your with your fellow workers there uh, on yeah, the shop and floor I, oh sorry I didn't mean and I th- no oh, oh I, mean, I was gonna say I think like um part of like the beginning of that question is like we first I think need to revitalize the labor movement and the revitalization of labor movements like heart and core is in the union movement. Um, and I think that we're seeing an upswing in that, but like with that, like we'll revitalize, like, I think like a general broader class politics of where people understand the, like, Hey, my boss is not somebody who I'm friends with and who like, you know, the Walmart, like anti-union videos, like, Oh, we're all a family here. Just come and talk to me. Like, that doesn't work. I mean, that hasn't worked for a long time, but I think especially now people are seeing it on a really heightened level and like a political level. And I think like seeing like that class dynamic more is going to open the vein for being able to talk about broader uh, social issues um, and talking about, hey, maybe we uh, we as workers should have some power in society. Like maybe we should make some of these decisions. Why do you say that? Why does it start with the labor movement for you? A big question, I know, but I, I think an important one to ask. I mean, because in the end, I mean, like if we're talking about like, if we are talking about rebuilding society, what we want in society is for workers to have power, then the first steps of workers having power in the world we live in now is in the union movement where we have legal rights and collective Um, We have a structure that allows collective action for workers um, to the point of going on strike and withholding their labor when they don't get what they want. And that kind of power is not to be taken lightly. And in a strike is where workers learn the absolute most um, that they can learn and it changes their views on society. So when workers start to understand that conflict that they have with their boss on a deep level and they fight, they fight their boss, they start to learn and broaden out um, that it's not just like one bad boss, it's the whole damn system. Um, And when you go on strike, you learn the lesson that we have value and we create all the value for this company and you are going to be nothing without us. And we have the right to withhold our, the labor that we Um, that we create for you um, and we're going to do that and you're going to suffer and it's it is working class power and when working people 
execute that power. They learn a lot about society again and workers all over the country learn that power as well. So that's why I think that's the first step forward. You know, I think we have a long way ahead of us um, if we want to change the world that we live in. And the first step is getting in and doing the hard work, like getting a working class union job and fighting among people, um, other workers in a structure where you can fight and you can strike and you can do collective action and you have legal rights. I don't see I don't see why we're not doing that. So, yeah, my that that is my answer. <laughs> No, I think it's a great answer. And also, like, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head, which is, like, as a worker, this is, like, the most immediate site of conflict between workers and capital. I mean, it plays out all throughout our lives. It plays out in the education system. It plays out in the prison system. It, it plays out between you and your landlord. But the, those connections are often a little bit more multi-layered or a little bit more mystified uh, as to the relationship uh, between yourself and capital and those sorts of relationships than they are like at the workplace. You know exactly what's going on there. I make things and this guy gets the money and then he gives me a little tiny bit of the money. And when you have, yeah, and when you have the strike, you can kind of open up that conversation even more and say, well, what are we, why, why are we just demanding this stuff or whatever? Yeah. And I, oh yeah, no, I mean, I, and I think like I feel so strongly about it too is because like, I grew up in like a poor working class family where I saw my mom get fucked over constantly by her boss and um, we struggled a lot. And like I said in the beginning, like it just blew my mind that like we could have some rights and power just on the shop floor. And I don't see why we can't expand that even further. You know, why settle for just like a couple crumbs? You know, like a union job is only a bit better than like an average non-union job. I mean, I'm unfireable, but like I get I get paid a little bit more. But we all as a class deserve more. And the union movement leads that fight. Yeah. And I think I think it's a great time to start transitioning the conversation away from this this more general kind of conversation about why socialists should join the labor movement to one where maybe you're even more of an expert. Uh, about TDU. So we've been talking about re- like the need to revitalize the labor movement and TDU, Teamsters for Democratic Union, I think is at least historically part of that uh, revitalization or has played a role in the Teamsters, a very significant role in helping to democratize it. For instance, you know, they helped, uh, if I remember correctly, get the Teamsters the one member, one vote, which is like not particularly common in a lot of unions. The UAW just now, much like the Teamsters after a corruption scandal, we're finally able to get someone to get the state to intervene and force an election uh, to decide whether or not we have uh, one member, one vote election of our leadership at the at the international level. So, I mean, the Teamsters are like their TDU has like historically like blazed a path for, for a lot of other people. And so maybe you could give us a little background about TDU. I'll say this. I think TDU is a little too humble about their history. Uh, I think TDU is absolutely exceptional. And um, so, I mean, TDU, uh, Teamsters for a Democratic Union, is a rank-and-file organization within the Teamsters that started in the 70s, um, just after the Jimmy Hoffa senior days and the corruption. Um, Corruption was absolutely rampant in our union. 
just uh you know just a few like rank and filers got together merged with another rank and filer organization and created tdu and then fought for one member one vote which means that like members actually get to have a vote for who is elected as the international leaders of the of their union which like if you have a national contract those leaders are the ones who negotiate your contracts those leaders are the ones who are guiding your entire union and yeah you're right like a lot of unions actually don't have that right to vote um as far as as far as my understanding they don't have the right to vote for uh, directly members vote for the leadership of the international i mean like to bring it to american i just i think this is so impressive like to bring it to like american politics it would be like if you did not get to vote for the president of the united states you know um but tdu fought for that right and they want it um as like a rank and file organization of teamsters like truck drivers um and then they continue to fight and they continue to win they got a reformist uh leader ron carey in in um the early 90s and then ron carey and tdu as a coalition led the 1997 UPS strike, which was like the largest strike of the 90s in the labor movement. And we still feel, we still feel the, the ramifications of that strike uh, 22, 24 years later. We have like full-time jobs inside the building, etc. Uh, I, I'm very passionate about TDU. I think there, it's just, it's extraordinary to me. I think that people don't quite understand how exceptional it is for there to be a like solely rank and file led uh, organization within the union movement coming up um, during like such hostile times uh, where there's rampant corruption and violence in our union. And then they win such huge wins that have changed our union forever. And we owe a lot to TDU and the Teamsters. Yeah, no, I, no, I absolutely agree that like the, the history of the Teamsters is like really impressive as someone who's who is also like active in the UAW's auto workers caravan, which is a similar uh, sort of rank and file though. Like it's extremely hard work to build a rank and file movement. I mean, if you're struggling against like a corrupt administrative body, like they're connected already, like de facto uh, nationally, they're connected internationally with the boss. and regionally. And they're also directly connected with the boss. Yeah. Because they, they, they have that uh, an mediating relationship. But not only that, like it's it's hard with, to organize people uh, when you have a full time job already. They already have a full time job. They're probably many are probably either already active or maybe disengaged from the union. And it's hard to get people motivated to take that next step to say, like, the union could be better. And this is something that's worth putting in uh, a lot of time and effort into. It, it, yeah, it's really challenging. And it's also challenging just to sustain it. Um, over the long haul in, in the way that TDU is well, done. Well, I think, I think th- so I see that a lot. I mean, especially, like, I'm in a right-to-work state. I get people who, like, don't want to join the union. Sorry not to, like, s- kind of go off the side. But I, I think it's important that we all start where people are at and start, a, like, really basic questions for workers you know like maybe doing an all-out shop floor campaign is not quite the right step at this very moment you know maybe like next month it's a good step I think we should be doing them all the time but like maybe like you need to get people on board because it's not just you you're not a lone hero it's it's collective work it's collective action so if you have a coworker who has 
um, like a, an individual issue with the boss and, you know, they're like, oh, the union doesn't do anything for me, blah, blah, blah. Um, we say a lot like, well, we are the union, then act like it, you know, like get like two or three of your coworkers together and be like, hey, stop fucking with my friend at work. Stop fucking with my coworker. Um, we know you're targeting him. Put that like collective pressure on him, like in small steps. And I like that's what I want to see when we revitalize the labor movement. It's not just getting in elected leadership. It's it's building a base of workers who know how to fight for themselves on the shop floor because I mean as much as I love uh, and think Shauna Ryan and Teamsters United Slate is great, um, it's nothing without revitalizing and like educating rank and file members and like showing them the power that they have. I, I think I mean I think this is generally a problem that a lot of people or a trap a lot of maybe less problem a, a trap that of thinking that a lot of people fall into which is this idea that like this the struggle stops at you know winning the election that for lack of a better word your guy if you get your guy in or your team or whatever in that they're automatically going to do all of the things that they said they would or that they're automatically going to do like it even a portion of what they said they would i mean look at the way united states politics works we been told to get our guy in so many times and our guy our guy in right, quotes yeah uh gets in uh and you know we find out that wait it's i don't know the same immigration policy as the guy before yeah <laughs> i mean that's like the interesting thing about the coalition with tdu and teamsters united is there uh well so I, there's like in a um a part of the Teamsters United platform is to like put rank and filers on bargaining committees um, for negotiating contracts. And, you know, like there's a lot of rank and file members campaigning for Teamsters United. And I think that there's um, a clear understanding, or I hope there is, I like, I, I've been pushing this, I think there is, that like the fight doesn't stop here. It does not stop here. I mean, to TDU members, I think we all know that, you know, we've been fighting for like 22 years since Hoffa got in office. And I, it's doubtful. <laughs> it's no way that we're going to just stop now <laughs> like oh we got a guy you know we've already been through it in the 90s with Ron Carey too um, the coalition doesn't stop the need for rank and file struggle on the shop floor and fighting the boss does not end and what I like about the Teamsters United slate is that it, it's it's clear to me that they understand that as well that like they can't do it alone but that having an educated rank and file is beneficial to them which is something that like previous administrations do not believe you know they um they're just like oh, i'm just here to you know be the president of the teamsters union you know i'm i'm here to do this and that you know i don't need like an ed like it's not important to like educate and like you know bring up your workers but for the teamsters unites late i see that and it is crucial because we have contract negotiations in two years at UPS. And we were just talking about this in the TDU workshop that I was part of leading over the 2020, preparing for a credible strike threat in 2023 for the UPS contract. And one thing I was pushing a lot was, um, was uh, we need to be putting on the pressure now as the rank and file. You know, like we as the rank and file have the duty to start these fights and like campaigns and like be pushing these issues and putting the pressure on the company and raising it for the international so that like we can put pressure when we go on when we go into the table and negotiate you know like um the 224 issue the second tier driver is a huge issue and we're pushing um we're putting or we're taking on that fight in salt lake city right now because i know that like and we know it's there, there's not going to be a lot of 
uh, pressure to negotiate it if there isn't a fight from the rank and file. Like if, if people aren't screaming about it and they're not mad about it, nobody is talking about it, then like what bargaining power does the union have when they're sitting at the table across from the company to say, hey, we don't want to have this two-tier wage system anymore. We don't have a second-tier driver who has no rights. No, totally. I mean, I, I think, yeah, like, like the credibility of a strike threat comes from the fact that you have a mobilized and active base of support among the rank and file uh, who's already engaged in that process of like making demands and, and confronting the boss. And if, if you're not if they're not already mobilized and active around a certain campaign or a certain issue or whatever, what, what chance do you have to mobilize them in the immediate lead up to the contract negotiation if they aren't already mobilized? I want to I want to circle back. Uh, to something that you mentioned. First, I just want to... So we've been talking about TDU, Teamsters for Democratic Union, and that's a rank-and-file caucus within the Teamsters. What's Teamsters United? I I just want to make sure... Not everyone is familiar with inside Teamsters baseball, so it might be worth going back and kind of like, what is Teamsters United? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good uh, thing to clarify. Um, Teamsters United is a slate... Um, running uh, right now in the international teamster election. We have um, elections for international union over the 1.4 million teamsters. It's for what we call the general executive board. And Teamsters United is a reformist slate uh, headed by Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman. Um, And then international regional um, candidates and then also international vice president candidates. So it's the one that we're backing. TDU is um, in a coalition with Teamsters United, and I expect that Teamsters United is going to win. Real quick, the significance of this as well is that uh, we, our union has been led by Hoffa Jr., who I don't think he was a Teamster rank and filer for even a year. Um, he was a lawyer and pretty uh, pretty uh, disappointing in, uh, in his entire career as the international uh, president of our union. Um, he ran um, after Ron Carey um, in the late 90s, and he has just continued to lead our union, really riding on his father's name um, for over 20 years. So this is this is actually a really important election. It's our, it's our chance to win, and our last time in 2016, we almost won. Um, we barely lost by, I think it was like 3,000 to 5,000 votes. I think it was 3,000. Um, 2016 we almost won. Um, so this time I think we're going to win. Uh, it's a very crucial election uh, for many reasons. And it's it's an exciting time to be in the Teamsters Union. So before we go on to the significance of this moment and, and the importance and the stakes of this election, I want to go back to, to a point that you, you've kind of alluded to a number of times so far, which is that uh, Teamsters United is is a coalition. So far, you've mentioned that TDU is part of that coalition, but who else is is in this coalition? What's the makeup of of the Teamsters United coalition? I mean, so from my understanding, I think the coalition is primarily just Teamsters United and TDU. Uh, And the significance of that is that TDU has been a force in the Teamsters um, since the 70s. And it's it's a powerful force. So, I mean, if you're a reformist slate that wants to take on the old guard and the Teamsters, then it makes sense and it's the right thing to do to... Uh, be in a coalition with Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Awesome. Um, I think a follow-up question to that, this is going to be maybe an annoying question, uh, which is, uh, so a lot of people or some people I've talked to have said that like uh, they're a little pessimistic or skeptical of of the Teamsters United 
uh, coalition because uh, Sean O'Brien, uh, the the international president candidate uh, on the slate, uh, is kind of formally uh, associated with with the Hoffa camp. Although he recently split uh, in the midst of the last UPS contract, right? Is that kind of could you give me a little bit? Yeah, of background? yeah, yeah. Um, he split, aka was fired by Hoffa during the last UPS negotiations in 2018, and then he flip sides. So, I mean, I take that as like a very positive thing, you know, like uh, Shauna Ryan was standing for members. Uh, he wanted to get information out to us and um, Hoffa didn't like uh, what Sean was doing. So he fired him and then Sean took a stand and he said, hey, I'm not I'm not for this. We can run this union better. I mean, people I, I, I don't really I guess I don't know what to really say when people are too cautious of Sean O'Brien because um, for me, uh, watching him throughout this election, he has really stood for members and gone above and beyond to advocate for members for better contracts to stand up to employers. I mean, I could like go into it a lot, but maybe it's because like, I'm a young teamster, but like I have some faith in Sean O'Brien. But also, I think what's most important as well is we can't rely entirely on the teamster leadership. It truly is like about the rank and file. Like we need to keep the pressure up. We need to keep organizing our like on our own. And right, like you said earlier, it doesn't end with the international election. Um, we keep doing what we're always doing, but this time we're not in a hostile environment. Worst case scenario, even if it does become a hostile environment, even if it does, uh, if Sean O'Brien is, is less than ideal, you know, it's it's at the very least mobilized a massive amount of Teamsters around the idea of like democratizing the union and, and of orienting it like back towards the rank and file. So there's that aspect of it. And also like, I'm going to totally misquote um, this Mao quote here, but it's like uh, chaos in the heavens and everything is fine below. Like you have like an administrative caucus that is kind of decomposing itself uh, around this election and it creates space for TDU uh, and other rank and file oriented Teamsters to to challenge established leadership and, and open up space for, for these bigger conversations about union democracy and, and how to mobilize uh, the Teamsters around more militant campaigns. Yeah, and union democracy starts on the shop floor. I mean, I think that's just where I come back to every single time. Um, like under a Hoffa leadership, under a Sean O'Brien leadership, under... Um, any leadership really it's like we still have the objective to organize on the shop floor and there's no getting around that and I sometimes I feel like people are kind of trying to find a way out of it you know because it's scary and it's hard but it's like no that's what we got to do and I mean it's going to be very different like Sean O'Brien's going to win I think he is um, I've been campaigning for him hard and I mean I'm excited to see what it's like to you know be a part of the Teamsters and be a rank and file activist organizing shop floor campaigns with leadership who isn't hostile on an international level I think that's really exciting and you know like I, I mean I have faith in Sean O'Brien I do and in Teamsters United um, but if it like you know doesn't turn out or this or that or, you know they're not up to expectation it's like you know, we can still get things done on the shop floor and we still have to. Um, there's no getting around it. So in the end, that's just what I'm all about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the end, it doesn't 
change like the real task at hand, which is organizing the rank and file. I think, you know, you've mentioned that that this election has stakes uh, and, and is kind of like positioned at a critical point uh, uh, right now. What are those stakes and why is this election so important for reform-minded Teamsters or the Teamsters in general? I think specifically for UPS workers, which is the largest private sector contract in the United States and also the largest contract within the Teamsters Union, this is a very important moment in our contract and in our union um, because we're coming up on contract negotiations in two years and we have a lot of fights ahead of us. In 2018, there was a two-tier driving position. It was the first two-tier position implemented in our contract um, where there are, you know, 25% of drivers make less, make less than 75% of drivers and that 25% of drivers has less rights than that 75%. And right now, like they're being abused and working on a six day work week, um, being called in whenever, you know, like they, they really just don't have very many rights on the shop floor. That language is called the 224 position. That language was implemented in 2018 and it was actually suggested on the union side. The company did not suggest the two tier, the union did. And that was under Hoffa's leadership. So that really shows like the importance of having um, strong uh, international union leaders at the bargaining table. And that's part of why it's very important that we elect um, the Teams of the United Slate. But um, primarily, and this is what I tell UPS workers every day when I'm telling them that they need to vote is because I say, Uh, Whoever wins this election for the International uh, Teamsters General Executive Board is going to be the one who negotiates our contract in two years, um, really starting next year. And if we want to have a good contract, we want to have a strong contract, uh, and we want to be taken seriously, then we need to have strong leaders at the table. Um, We also need to put up a fight, but like right now the conversation is the election, and your vote is very important. Real quick, too, I mean, like five years ago, only 17% of Teamsters voted. Um, I mean, why did they not vote? Because they got sold out in 2018. Well, I mean, they, they, the vote was in 2016, but um, I think there's like a there's a history of members feeling like they're not actually a part of this union, that they're not listened to, that like their struggles and their demands are not taken seriously or listened to and brought to the negotiating table. And I think we have a chance at changing that in in the foreseeable future when Teamsters United wins. And so, yeah, so maybe for people who aren't super familiar with how unions work or how contract negotiations work, so I just want to make sure I understand this or everyone else understands this correctly, which is that UPS as a whole organization uh, has one contract, and it specifies like the, the tasks and duties of, of employees and stuff like that as well, as well as the benefits and wages and general rules uh, that everyone has to abide by, yeah, right? Yeah, so like anyone who's not a supervisor, anyone who works in the warehouse, drives a semi-truck, drives a delivery truck, is a union employee. Um, and, you know, like we have a pension, a fantastic pension, health insurance I don't pay for that pays for everything. I've never paid for health insurance at all. Um, really good wages and then on top of that protections on the job um, you know specified by like exactly what job you have and um, our contracts last five years Um, you know generally the contract mostly stays the same but then like some changes will happen right like the two-tier 
Um, they tried to also slash our um, health insurance um, in the contract before 2018 and 2013, and they didn't win. Um, so, I mean, like, the company is always trying to get away with as little as possible, but also they're they're up against a pretty strong contract and a pretty strong union, so they can't budge much. Um, but when we have uh, you know union leaders who let the company budge and push us around, then you know we're in, we're in for some suffering, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so the UPS is only one segment. Of the yeah. Teamsters, yeah. right? There's there's a lot of other people. I guess there's, what's the other big trucking company? Yeah, YRC, YRC, ABF. Um, they're under the um, the master freight agreement. Mm-hmm. So so they have a master freight agreement. So those are like the kind of big contracts. UPS one of the master freight agreement. But then the Teamsters, like much like the UAW and other big unions in the in the U.S., have started to kind of branch out outside of their traditional industries, right? The UAW. So I, I'm a grad student and I work at the University of Massachusetts. And so I'm within the UAW. I mean, I, I think we have like preschool teachers and stuff like that as well in my local. So, um, you know, what is the meaning of this election for people who are in, you know, smaller shops and um, in, in these kind of shops that are kind of uh, or industries that are new to the Teamsters or kind of what does this mean for this sort of Teamsters union that's recomposing itself around new industries? I think part of it is a serious approach to organizing and a focus on our white papers. White papers are um, non-national contracts. So like, right, if like a, if a, like a tech firm in Colorado organized and there's like 50 workers, it would be a white paper. I mean, it'd be like a local contract. Um, so, I mean, I think like, you know, like all like taking on big employers um, like UPS and ABF and YRC, et cetera, um, but also putting more work. I'm going to be real. I actually don't have a really good answer to this. That's fine. Um, you don't have to have an answer to everything. I don't know. This one's hard. I just think about like the organizing approach with like union organizing. But I think this one's hard because it is more on a local union level yeah no i know exactly what you mean because so i was a delegate to uh the uaw international convention at the one that elected the now like deposed dennis williams to the president uh, of the international and yeah it was very difficult to like to get local members engaged in the in a conversation about this election um about the election just because like again yeah we're we're we were an amalgamated with like I don't know, like 15 different shops with in all sorts of different industries, largely in health and human services. And people were like, I don't know. Those are the people they like, I don't know, they do auto stuff. <laughs> so it's very difficult to, to engage with that. And I think, I don't know, I think this is something that a successful rank and file oriented campaign for international office can bring, though, is kind of a change in attitude or at least a change in the way it talks about the union and the way it talks about organizing. I mean, you know, changing rhetoric and changing language can only do so much. Uh, it takes like actual activity by workers and, and, and everyone involved in the effort. But but it is meaningful in some important ways to say, like, change how you're framing the conversation around organizing and stuff like that from maybe one that from from one that's like very like in a very strict sense, business unionism to, to something to something else. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I see us like getting away from business unionism uh, as much with uh, Hoffa, but I think the the real change for um, the smaller contracts and like white papers right happens on like a local level and the way I see that succeeding the most is from like that pressure of like rank and file organizing that we've been talking about and like the the understanding that like change happens on the shop floor on a local level that like maybe that can like move up you know and like people can be having influence in their local unions um, and moving you know local unions away from you know like a uh, collaborating with the boss, um, you know, going along to get along and but like just basic like business unionism. Um, I think it's hard for, I, I guess maybe I might even be thinking about it on like too small of level, like 40 person contracts, like for the international to like intervene on. I think I might be thinking about too small, of yeah, level, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be dialectical to be Marxist about it. There's kind of, a, there's a dialectic between, uh, the international and the local. Um, yeah union movement and you know i don't know it's especially yeah i don't know especially when especially when you're in like Mm -hmm. small shops like it like i was in in the uaw like you start meeting other people in similar like that are outside of like uh the pattern contracts of like the big three in the audio industry and you're like oh you're a nurse and you have this similar problem that i do working at umass like oh and this is related to this kind of internal problem within the uaw and the way it's being run right now and you can kind of like have these conversations, I think, uh, in ways at the at the local level, at the level of like locals that don't have big national contracts, uh, kind of directing how things. You get more opportunities to get involved in the process of bargaining and stuff like that, but also more more opportunities to like encounter other workers in the UAW and, and kind of build their own rank and file coalitions around change mm-hmm. they want to see in the union. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see that similarity as well. It's like it's interesting also uh, just being in the union movement and the labor movement and uh, like just having like a very distinctly like shared struggle. Like I'm a delivery driver. You're a nurse. We both work extreme hours. Um, odd that there's a labor shortage. Maybe they should cut our hours and just hire more people. Um, and then like, uh, you know, the question of like hire more people and like cutting our hours is something the union could do uh, something about in our contract. Uh, you know, they could put in language to say, like, hey, our workers can't work more than 50 hours, blah, blah, blah. Um, they could put pressure on them on a local level to hire more. But back to kind of the main part of your, your question, I think, I mean, so the Teamsters Union also has been, and I don't know how long it's been like this, but it seems to be very decentralized, like from the international. And I don't think a lot of unions are like that like I don't know if SEIU is like that or UAW as much but on like a local to like international or local to like joint council level like Teamster locals just do not interact very much with each other like they have like a level of like independence um, so I think that something the international the next international leaders a task for them would be to more like centralize that and uh, like there's some you know locals where I think like a bit of like education and like you know bringing them up a level and developing them and you know more guidance from the international would be good um, and then more coordination like the, the lack of coordination in the teamsters is quite a problem at times at times like I've heard that there will be like 
uh, international organizers come out to people's locals or, uh, you know, trying to organize like in the city, like, you know, two miles away from the Union Hall and the, the international organizer doesn't even tell the local that they're there. Um, trying to organize in their city it's a bit of a mess it's a bit chaotic so I think like getting some actual structure and strategy is important yeah no I mean like very similar situation in 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 the UAW in terms of just the sort of atomization of of locals and kind of yeah the the lack of frequent lack of collaboration and coordination uh, at that level and yeah I mean I think that's something that like regional and, and international leadership can influence you know they don't necessarily have to be intervening uh maybe maybe ideally they would intervene in, in local contracts unless i don't know uh, it should be a local-led effort i think in my opinion but but they can intervene in a meaningful way by helping to draw out those connections and develop uh, leadership and put people in into conversation with one another about what's going on at the at the local and regional level so we're, we're at almost an hour here and and i'd like to take this this episode in for a landing here on, on, on two questions. I think I'll ask the first question first, then we'll close on the third one, which I think might be a little bit easier. But, but what do you think the greatest challenges um, that, that the Teamsters are facing uh, over the next, I don't know, six years between now and the next presidential election? Um, the first thing I think, straight from the heart, is... Uh, like corporate domination like the companies have been so organized and we need to be as well and I don't think that we are as organized as we should be at this point to take on some of these bosses Um, I don't think it's entirely too difficult to do it um, but we haven't had you know strong leadership in our union to uh, really take on the boss and bring workers together to do it so that's that's part of the issue I mean that kind of comes down to like you know our contracts coming up and uh you know the need to for rank and file organizing the need to organize more workers I mean like you see this uh corporate domination as I, I guess I'm calling it um too and like the percentage of union uh the percentage of unionized employees in the United States unionized workers it's um like roughly around like 10 percent uh, we used to be so much stronger as working people, and uh, it's uh, we've kind of taken a, a turn. And I mean, part of that is labor law. Um, I mean, I would like to do. Uh, I, I'm not in. I'm not endorsing Wildcat in any way. You know, it's something you build up to, right? But I have this amazing poster on my wall that's about. I uh, has a drawing of like the West Virginia teachers who did a, a statewide Wildcat, um, and it says when workers rights are against the law it's workers right to break the law so i would like to get to a point where we can really show our power i mean legally as a strike illegally as a wildcat in the future whatever i don't care i just want to have worker action and i want to actually stand up to the bosses oh yeah i think like on that note i'm sure you've um gotten a lot of people interested in in wanting to to join the labor movement as a rank and filer maybe could you give some advice for people who are interested in, in becoming rank and file activists? Yeah, uh, just get a job. <laughs> just get a job. Get a job at a union place. <laughs> um, if you really want to do labor organizing, you should probably get a job at like a, um, a union shop that has a national contract. 
I highly recommend getting a job at UPS. Um, it is so easy to, because it's like, it's under the Teamsters, huge national contract, very powerful, um, really easy to get a job in. If you're a student, they'll pay for your school. Um, they pay like Teamsters negotiates. So we have like basically entirely free health insurance. Like if you're for Medicare for all, like Teamsters is basically already doing it. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. But um, yeah. And I mean, also, so you can like join TDU. There's like really nothing like Teamsters for a Democratic Union, like a working, um, a, a workers focused organization led by workers um, in the labor movement um, within the within the union movement. There's nothing like it. It's really incredible. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah, I mean, like you're going to get really dirty and cold and hot and sweat and pass out. But you know what? Like when my coworkers were like passing out from heat sickness on the shop floor, we weren't just like, oh, wow, this job fucking sucks. We're going to go. We were like, let's fucking organize. Let's do a petition <laughs> for more fans. You know, like working in a union job, you can actually just kind of wild out, tell your boss to fuck off, do a petition, say, hey, give us some fans. We're sick of working like this. So, yeah, I mean. I don't know like if you're in college it might kind of suck but like you I don't know you need to learn how to yell at your boss that's like that's the way we get this done I mean if y'all want to do socialism you got to yell at your boss first <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good rule of thumb uh you know I think you mentioned something interesting that that also might be helpful so in a lot of the United States is now right to work and you, you said you work in a right to work state do you have any advice for people who Want to become rank and filers in a in a right to work state? I actually don't think being right to work in a right to work state is like that significantly different than probably a non right to work state. I mean, I think it affects like local unions on a bigger level because like the the main issue with right to work is that workers have to voluntarily say that they are going to pay dues. They're not required to, um, and the union is required to equally represent workers regardless if they pay dues or not. Um, and I mean, in my local, like we have over 90% of all workers at UPS, I think it's like over like 95% of all the workers um, paying dues. So, I mean, it just makes you work harder, which I like. And um, yeah, um, the only thing I wouldn't recommend to people that I see a lot of like young, like progressive-ish people want to do is they all want to like organize a union. I like, I, com I commend them. I think that's brave, but also I want to say it's it's kind of hard and it's, it's difficult. And I think if you have some experience on the shop floor in a union job and you get that like experience of conflict with your boss and like standing up to your boss first before you take on that, um, it's going to help you a lot more. But I, I just have seen it a couple of times like people talk to me and be like, hey, I want to like organize a union. And then you start saying like, OK, like you're going to need to get like a dozen of your coworkers to go up to your boss and say like, Hey, stop doing this. And they're like, Oh, that's too far. You know? And it's like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like people, there's other people who are doing it, you know, like, I, I, sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't mean yeah, to bash no, people. No, I'm this just is... trying to say like, it is, it's, no, it's no, no, it's difficult. Um, and it, it shouldn't be underestimated. It takes a lot of hard work. Yeah, no, no, this is, this is exactly it. I mean, like starting your own union is, insanely challenging it's extremely difficult i mean i mean you're by yourself and if you've never done any labor organizing before you probably have no clue what you're doing or like not that i mean you might have some clue what you're doing but it's still extremely challenging because you don't have those those sort of labor organizing specific experiences and i yeah i also people know that i'm in a union i'm active in my union and they're like so how do i start a union i'm like it, 
I have, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm already answer. in one. <laughs> Honestly, I, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. All I say is like find 10 other people first before you do anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, honestly, it's so beautiful. Like, uh, working on the union campaign that I worked on, um, I mean, it was a failed campaign, but um, we tried and we tried really hard. But it was just so beautiful to, like, watch um, working people, like, understand and, like, start to just, like, get that they have power and that they deserve to have a voice in their workplace. It's, It's really incredible. It takes a lot of dedication it it's it's like a you're not gonna sleep if you're doing a union campaign you know so i mean if you do it you gotta do it and also i mean this is where like the union staffer comes in like if you don't know what you're doing you listen to that union staffer like no matter what the fuck they say (laughs) i swear you just listen to them because i mean they're gonna guide you in the right direction i hope and in the end it's it's about like in the end all a union campaign is is you just need to get majority support you need to get most of your coworkers 50 percent plus one you know, it's hard to do it, but you got to do it. You got to talk to a lot of people. Okay, one last question about advice. And so suppose someone successfully achieved advice point number one, get a job. What do you do? What's some advice for people who just got their first union job? That is a really good question. I would say just hang out, learn how to do your job first, make some friends, you know, like just get a feel for your workplace, uh, read your contract, start asking people about the contract, you know, get to know your union stewards, you know, become best friends with your union stewards. Say, um, I, this is what I did when I first started. I just found my union steward and I was like, Hey, I don't really know you, but like, I'm, I really want to do this union thing. I think it's really cool. Can you help me understand this contract? And I was just like an obsessive little, like, please like teach me everything. I think it's really cool when you yell at my boss because I came to work late. And yeah, I mean, like you just got to learn, like learn as you go, get down the basics and, you know, like build relationships. Like you can't build shop floor campaigns if you don't have these relationships on the shop floor. Like if you don't have friends, like if you don't have, you know, like your, your family at work, basically, uh, you got to build trust among people. Um, if you, you know, want to wild out and do some crazy shit. <laughs> that's I mean, I think that's perfect advice. And I think that's a good way to, to end this episode, <laughs> which is if, if you want to wild out and do some crazy stuff, you, you got to have friends and you got, you got to build solidarity, uh, with your coworkers. <laughs> perfect advice really so before i go i don't know if you had any social media or any websites people should check out if they're interested in finding more about tdu or i don't know any other cool social stuff um so you should check out the tdu website which is tdu.org teamsters for a democratic union uh if you are listening to this then i imagine you listen to other podcasts and maybe you are familiar with a podcast called Chapo Trap House. They are doing a fundraiser right now for Teamsters for a Democratic Union. And you can look on their Twitter. I just saw it on Twitter today. You should donate the to TDU there. Um, I think you can also donate on the website, which would be awesome. And as far as social media, um, you know what? If you so please, you can follow my private Twitter and it is <laughs> it's at revive <laughs> bold <laughs> right now i'm tweeting about how much i hate cheese it is uh, at revive the strike um but strike is spelled in swedish so it's revive the and then 
S-T-R-E-J-K. I'll put that in the show notes. I just want to say, Gabriella, really a very fun and interesting interview. I enjoyed getting to know you. I enjoyed getting to learn a little bit more about the Teamsters and the and the Teamsters for Democratic Union Caucus and and, and what's going on uh, with Teamsters United. I'd love to have you back on or anyone else you could refer because I trust your taste. You, you've Thank got, you. You've got good judgment, so it seems. Nice. You're very welcome. You should get Joe Burns so, on. Joe Burns is coming out with a... Okay. He's written two amazing books. Um, Revive the Strike, which is where I stole my Twitter handle from. And then um, he wrote a second book about... Uh, and Revive the Strike's a really short book about... Sorry, not to make this go on longer. But um, really a short book about just like basic labor law, basic labor history, you know, how we rebuild our union movement, like why the union movement fell, um, like, you know, the decline of uh, the union uh, level of like workers in the union movement and then the second book is about the public sector and then his third book is um, coming out soon it's going to be Haymarket um, books it's called Class Struggle Unionism and it's going to be really great so you must have done like a million podcast interviews before this one because you know how to plug everything <laughs> you know, an absolute an absolute pro I was like you're the first person to be like oh and there's all these other things to plug <laughs> So, I've never been on a podcast. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for... <laughs> yeah. Really? I couldn't tell. So uh, thanks again, Gabriella. I really had fun having you on the show. Everyone else, if you've been listening to this podcast through the Solidarity website, you can now access it through most podcasting apps. If you're using iTunes, please be sure to give us a review uh, to help us move up the charts. And even if you don't use iTunes, create an account, uh, give us five stars, and then write us a review. Um iTunes, iTunes likes that, and I like that. If you if you like the conversation uh, that we just had, and you want to keep up with what Socialism from Below and our friends are doing, follow us on Twitter at soc from below or at sock without the k from below. If you like what you heard on today's episode, and you want to find out more about Solidarity, check out our website at www.solidarity-us.org. You can find us on Twitter at SolidarityUS, on Instagram at Solidarity1986, and on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SolidarityUS. I would also encourage you to check out our comrades at the Socialist Journal Against the Current on their website at www.againstthecurrent.org. You can also find them on Twitter at ATC underscore mag and Instagram at ATC.mag. Thanks again to our truly amazing producer, James. Um, he does a massive amount of work making me and all the guests sound just really phenomenal. He also did the theme song. So if you liked that, be sure to check out his beat tape, Optimism of the Will. Um, if you like this podcast, you'll like that beat tape. And if you if you donate and buy it, uh, that money goes straight to Kansas City Tenants, uh, the really awesome tenants union that we interviewed uh, in episode four. So thanks again for listening, comrades. Until next time, solidarity for ever. Solidarity.